know if you guys can see the uh, meeting book, the agenda. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. You can see the minutes, yeah. And we are now recording as well. You're good to go. Great. Uh, hey, everyone. So we're going to call the meeting to order for May 12th, 2020 at 536. Um, can we have a roll call, please? Uh, is Brenda on the line? I mean, uh, Hello. Hello. Um, Lucia Angel. Present. Uh, Neha Fanger. Present. B. Frank Walker. Present. Witcher Harvey Jr. Present. Lolita Mellon. Present. Eric Murphy. Mark Smith. Present. Derek So. Present. Ali Yassin. Present. We have a coin. Thank you. Um, and then do we have anyone else online that we want to introduce? I don't think so. And I will just remind everybody to put yourselves on mute if you're not speaking. Um, and that will help with some of the extra noises. Um, so we'll start with our first agenda item um, to board your report. Um, I don't have anything for our... um, So I'll skip the chair report. Uh, the second item is uh... <coughs> sorry. Uh, unless there's any objections, can we get uh, approve the minutes from April 14th for the last co-applicant board meeting? Any objections? I move to approve the minutes from the last meeting. Can I get a second? I, I second the motion. Thank you. Um, Meeting minutes approved. Thank you all. Um, so next on our agenda item, uh, we have our report um, from our new medical director, uh, Dr. Damon Francis. Hi, welcome, nice to meet you. Yes, great to meet you too. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize that, you know, getting a haircut is for my board is just not something that I do today. So, um, what? It's I've been sitting in the hot room. I, I left the door open behind me. My son might run through, uh, but I'm, I'm just begging all your forgiveness for all of that. Um, so, obviously, we remain really, really busy um, with uh, coronavirus work. Um, and I thought just like last time I'd tell you a couple stories from that work. Um, one is, so uh, we were actually part of uh, responding to an outbreak in an encampment. Um, 
that uh, one, of, one of the patients there was hospitalized at Alameda Health System. His primary well, care provider noted that he was hospitalized here um, and, uh, and actually called me. And I said, oh, we need to report this case to the health department. So we called together to report the case to the health department. And, um, and then we pressed them to follow up, you know, noting that um, many encampments are places where people are spending a lot of time in close contact with each other. And uh, um, it ended up that he and I were kind of the main, <laughs> the main people following up because the health department hadn't yet really um, done the response in, a, in an encampment yet. Um, and so uh, we went together to the site along with um, some staff from the health department, uh, some staff from community-based organizations in the area, and um, were able to test a bunch of people in the area, um, do some contact tracing, and identify people who'd been in close contact with the gentleman who was um, hospitalized in our system. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then uh, we're able to move some of the close contact to Operation Comfort, um, the hotel that we've um, been able to uh, lease up to help people who are homeless um, be able to isolate and, and um, recover and also um, keep other folks from getting infected. Um, following that, there was another round of testing then around that encampment and um, at a nearby site, um, another person tested positive and was moved into Operation Comfort. And uh, we, um, so we kicked off sort of the testing that occurred, you know, as part of Alameda Health System in that area, we were the ones to actually do the test. And then, um, and then this woman moved to Operation Comfort and by that point in time, the mobile health team um, had begun seeing patients um, at Operation Comfort on a regular basis. And so um, sort of the second round of testing after this outbreak that we were part of responding to, I ended up doing some care along with, um, with Martha on our team um, for a woman who was COVID positive and um, had not been in primary care for quite some time. We got her primary care provider on the phone from a different health system and coordinated the delivery of uh, first just assessing her and figuring out the nurses there were really worried that she had to go to the hospital. We were able to sort of figure out that she was probably going to be safe staying in place and then coordinated the delivery of some insulin for her and um, and really just helped, you know, explain and helped her understand sort of what was going on. She was pretty scared um, and tearful during part of the interaction. And I think, um, you know, Martha and I were able to help her feel cared for, feel comfortable in the situation and feel like she was going to be, be okay there. Um, so it's been a real, um, it's been a real challenge to cope with, um, with COVID. The, the first response was on the weekend, um, that I described to you. This is during the week at a time where we ordinarily would have been at a different shelter site. It's been incredibly stressful to the resources on the team. Um, in addition to that, we've had one of our team members who's lost a family, a close family member. And so we have someone who's out right now. Um, so, um, you know, I think our team is definitely um, just under a lot of stress overall from, from what's happening. But I think, uh, you know, also, as the story illustrates, we're contributing in these really enormous ways um, to the response in the, in the county and in the community, and it makes me really, really proud. Um, the second story I'll tell there is, uh, you know, I think I've been um, accepting some of the referrals from across the organization for some of the housing resources um, because we've just had to stand up systems quickly and that's been the easiest way to do it. I think as a result, some people have started calling me about other issues just because they say, I I think Dr. French might know something about this. So I got a call um, 
from someone about a patient who actually is not technically even HRSA homeless. Um, he he rents a room in a boarding care in um, in uh, Alameda County, and he um, he described to a triage nurse that he was no longer getting food, and that that was part of his informal rental agreement was that he was getting food as part of being able to stay at the boarding care. And um, so she called the nurse who talked to him, called me to see if I knew about any resources that were available. Um, and I um, called the Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program and, and first called the patient back, sorry, and he, um, I said, you know, um, I confirmed what it, where his facility was and that it was unlicensed and that, you know, it might bring unwelcome attention to you and it might threaten your housing agreement. And he said, you know, I, it's not really for me. There are a lot of other people who live here and I need people to know and I need all these other people to get help just as much as I need it for myself. So um, please feel free to report it to whoever you can report it to. I talked to County Healthcare for the Homeless and I think we're still in the middle of trying to strategize what to do. Um, but I think, you know, there's been some data that's come out nationwide that shows that food, food insecurity has gone up by three times. Um, so I think at baseline, sort of the 15, 20% range in the United States for food insecurity, but, you know, people who are food insecure and now we're somewhere around 40% of people food insecure in some places. Um, and I think it's easy for us to think kind of COVID, COVID, COVID all the time and the work that we're doing right now. But I think, um, these other issues of food insecurity um, and, and you know, poverty that are really closely connected, obviously, to homelessness um, are also getting worse at this moment in time. And, um, you know, um, just that case reminded me um, of, you know, how how important it is that we keep doing our basic work, even as we're pulled in to do contact tracing and new care for, you know, for people at isolation still focus most of the report on what's going on with COVID since I think that is a lot of what's happening. Uh, and then and then just describe some of the other changes to our programs that have happened recently. Um, overall, the epidemic uh, affected, we have, we have 2,100 cases in Alameda County overall. Um, we um, still have a very low number of deaths um, in the county compared to other places in the country. Uh, but those deaths, you know, twice as commonly are occurring in African Americans versus other population. Um, the official reported number of people experiencing homelessness who are who have been affected with COVID is um, still around ten. But the number that we know from our tracking with it, with um, in partnership with the Healthcare for the Homeless program, is uh, more like thirty-five people um, so far who've been infected. The largest outbreak that we've seen among people experiencing homelessness is four people in a single shelter, um, which I think is incredible. In San Francisco and Boston, there have been case reports of shelters with 40, 50 people infected. Um, and I do think it's in part luck um, that we've been able to learn from what's happened in those other places because our epidemic got started a little bit later um, and because of shelter in place more broadly. But I also think there's some skill in terms of, especially the county healthcare for the homeless team doing really excellent prevention work. They're having weekly phone calls with all of the outreach providers, um, weekly phone calls with all of the shelter providers, and then um, doing shelter visits to ensure that people are doing really, um, really involved prevention practices, you know, screening, symptom tracking, those kinds of things. And uh, 
and our shelters and street outreach providers have really done tremendous work in uh, preventing the spread. Um, so I think that's I think that's why we still haven't seen um, any large outbreaks. I, I won't be surprised at the point that we actually do see a large one, but I think we should be proud of the work that we've done so far on that. Um, in terms of the, the focus areas of the response right now, we're continuing to try to develop um, more places to isolate folks who are either infected, isolate folks who are infected, quarantine folks who are close contact with those infected who are experiencing homelessness, and then also to develop other housing that is um, for uh, people who are, would be at really high risk of complications if they were to be infected. And so far we have about 500 um, uh, people who are staying in isolation housing in about 300 something rooms and um, expect to be up to um, maybe the thousand range is what I've heard from, um, from some folks in the county in terms of leased or purchased hotels uh, for the purpose of of protecting folks uh, from COVID, which is really exciting. Um, obviously, the circumstances are bad, but it's great to be able to be moving so many people in um, at this moment in time. Um, in addition to that, we're doing outbreak responses at um, shelters and encampments as a, as a county health care for the homeless program that includes all of the contractors for the county, includes Alameda Health System, both in shelters and encampments, and uh, we've now responded in um, three different cities. I think uh, it's been two or three shelters and five or six encampments. Um, and again, have, you know, I've not seen an outbreak larger than four people infected, which is really great. And are starting to develop some regular practices and getting used to figuring out how to how to do um, contact tracing and an aggressive response um, in the context of people experiencing homelessness, along with you know the, the public health department. Um, we uh, have been able to um, do a lot of testing. So Alameda Health System has been focused on testing at the isolation hotel, um, really for the purposes of infection control in those spaces. Um, and then we've done some of this outbreak and encampment testing, but we're really transitioning both of those roles to the public health department as much as possible. And they may remain on call for some testing as needed. As a community, um, we're continuing to see that we just need a lot more availability of testing that's walk up, you know, that that is accessible to people in the neighborhoods where the caseloads are really high, which is, you know, East Oakland, um, Hayward and unincorporated areas. Unfortunately, the testing that's available um, really, you know, attracts wealthier areas in our community. Um, you know, I have a number of people I interact with regularly who are insured and have easy access to a test, and that's that still isn't the case for people experiencing homelessness. So, no. um, the the county's working on that. Alameda Health System um, is starting today. Today started um, a ambulatory testing site at um, San Leandro Hospital. So we're actually able to do some walk up and drive up testing um, at San Leandro Hospital as of today, and really looking to learn from that experience and expand um, the places that we are as a system offering ambulatory testing um, as much as possible. Um, our focus on mobile health has been, uh, you know, really um, the, the isolation hotels and moving to provide care there to continue to keep the team safe um, and do things telephonically where we can. So um, we've done some, some telephone visits at places where we had provided care, but folks there, um, you know, weren't necessarily um, the risk benefit of seeing folks who aren't as sick um, in, in person is um, right now not as, you know, it's higher on the risk side than the benefit side. So we've moved to providing some of that care telephonically, but at the, at the hotels, we're still in person. We're there every week. So a lot of our up to like 
So again, are selected because they have multiple chronic illnesses and they're at risk of bad outcomes. Um, so it really makes sense that that's what we're working as a mobile health team. Our broader ambulatory care system is working on thinking about how to reopen and you know reopen to in-person visits. Um, we've been doing a lot of telephonic care, um, and uh, and I think as part of that, there's a there's a really um, good plan to think through how do we make sure. Sorry, I hear my son in the background there. Uh, the um, to think through the <laughs> hold on one second. <laughs> hey guys. Guys, I'm having a board meeting now. <laughs> um, sorry about that. <laughs> so we're we're um, thinking about how to bring folks back in a way that actually prioritizes those patients who have the most um, severe chronic illnesses and the most um, difficulty, um, uh, you know, with their care. We want to make sure that we reopen in a way that doesn't actually further than disenfranchise folks who are sicker. So ideally that will include people experiencing homelessness and we're hoping to have um, some access to, um, the other thing that we're really working on is the data systems to be able to understand, you know, um, to understand who in our system's homeless more than once a year when we do the UDS reporting. And I think we're very close to being able to track that data in a way that allows us to look at a question like this as people are coming into care you know, are the folks who are experiencing homelessness uh, getting the same outreach, getting the same access, um, and um, that you know that they need on the basis of, of higher risks for, um, for problems related to the their illnesses. Um, I think that's it for the summary that I wanted to give. And now I'm happy to um, answer any questions that you all have on COVID or what's going on outside of COVID um, in the last month. Um, Alex. Is Alex, is Alex there? Sure, come on. Okay, well, Alex, uh, I'm, I'm sure you might bring up an objection, So, uh, but I want to be able to ask uh, David some questions. Uh, is at any time uh, you think that it, it, it should not be answered now and that it should be officially on a following uh, agenda, then I'm going to at least try to make uh, or at least make the statement uh, that I wish uh, whatever questions go unanswered that I ask uh, the day before as part of the agenda uh, for our next meeting. Sounds good to me. Thanks for the heads up. Okay. May I go ahead? Please. Okay. Uh, David, one thing I wanted to ask, and nobody talks about it, and um, and I think it would be only anecdotal, but uh, I, I do believe that uh, given, given the, uh, what's happened economically uh, in, in our area, as it is across uh, the entire country, uh, people uh, or parents not being able to go to work, or let's just say you have uh, people or family or family members who have become part of the homeless population um, who might have children and still might be, despite their own homelessness, still might be in um, physical contact with children who are in their family, even though uh, they, uh, they might be a parent and don't live with them. And I know that's a, I know that's a, a question out of left field, but um, is there any... Uh, has there been any discussion or any questions asked of some individuals 
uh, that that might be the case. And the reason why I bring it up because there have been this uh, alarming report that just came out yesterday about young children um, who seemingly have been infected by the virus uh, and having um, a deleterious effect on their health that's not necessarily breathing related, but uh, the collapsing of uh, their their uh, their their arteries within inside their bodies. Uh, and even though there's some, been some very rare cases of it, there are uh, some doctors in some states that are uh, blaming or cer- certainly associating coronavirus uh, with this effect. But a, a, are you aware of that? And B, um, has there been any, any issue that's come up to your knowledge or been brought to your attention in which a homeless person might actually be a family person who actually has more than one member on the street and um, a family, as it were, in which kids might be exposed. Yeah, so in, in answer to the, am I aware of the uh, um, COVID-related sort of rare inflammatory uh in children, Yes, they're very rare and really not a major part of the um, of the public health impact of okay. the coronavirus so far. Certainly, for you know children who are infected, um, it can be devastating for their families. It can be really devastating. Um, but those those cases, fortunately, remain really rare uh, as far as I as far as I know right now. Um, and with regard to your other question, um, certainly. Um, I would say more than half the people that we care for who are experiencing homelessness are in touch with family, um, including, um, including in some cases, small children. There, you know, there, it's a bit of an artificial separation, um, sort of homeless or not homeless, you know, uh, in some ways. People um, have living arrangements that are often very fluid. You know, I think the case of the gentleman who called with the, with the food issue from, it's an unlicensed boarding care. I don't know what his lease agreement looked like. I don't know to what extent that might be a family member, even that, you know, that, that, that other relationships are part of the lease agreement there. So certainly family relationships um, are very much a part of this and I think illustrate how um, sometimes our society wants to say, you know, there's the quote unquote, the homeless. Um, that there's really, in my experience, no such thing. And, um, you know, the same, the same questions that apply um, to anyone else apply to the, the folks that we're taking care of who are momentarily experiencing homelessness around exposure to family, how to keep the entire household healthy um, in many cases. Okay, and um, my second question, um, and Alex, you can stop me um, if uh, it's not possible to answer this question, but uh, my other question, uh, has there been any thought actually in finding out, and, and um, if you say no, or that has never been thought of, uh, I would not, A, be surprised, and uh, that's certainly no indictment, because I don't know that anybody is uh, actually tracking this at all. But um, given the fact that there's no such thing as homelessness, um, has there been any discussion about whether or not um, uh, across everybody that's being treated um, as quote-unquote homeless in our program, whether or not... um, they in fact uh, do have this fluid situation and can arguably be said uh, partly living with family so that uh, there would be some form of contract uh, contact tracing of, of quote unquote 
homeless people, but yet they're kind of, as you say, in a fluid situation. Yes, so I can give you an, an example of that. Um, many of the folks that we tested in the surrounding area around that first encampment that I described were not homeless. Um, and we ended up handing off then much of the sort of case follow-up work back to the public health department who then conducted some of the um, case investigation in that area. Some of the folks that we talked to and interviewed were not homeless and were included anyway in the work that, that you know, the, the collective healthcare for the homeless network team, which included a couple, again, a couple different clinical providers and a couple different community-based organizations along with people from the health department. Um, so there's, there's sort of handoffs that occur in those situations to say, in this scenario, these folks lead, in this scenario, these folks lead, and there's been a lot of complex coordination with the public health department around, around that. Okay. Well, thank you so much uh, for answering my questions. Sure. Uh, Damon, I have a question. Um, d does um, HAHS follow up on the uh, homeless people that are put in the hotel rooms or the shelters or wherever they're being contained for the two-week period? Do you follow up directly with them, or does the public health department do that? Um, both. So um, Heather and I were just on a call before this with Lily McRae, who manages our care transitions team, um, which is a, a team of uh, case managers that um, actually have taken on following up folks who are referred from our ER, which is not right. technically part of our homeless health center and ambulatory care. Right. You know, Lily isn't part yeah. of that, and, and the ER isn't part of that, but of course we're all sort of collaborating across that boundary. Um, and so um, their team will follow up with folks there, ensure that they get back to primary care. That's their endpoint: is that they get back to, to primary care um, if they're AHS assigned patients who've been discharged from the um, from the emergency room. And if they're assigned to other providers, they will follow along usually and make sure that they get back to the other provider as well. And then the public health department, of course, is also following up with those folks since they're part of the management of that um, facility. And are any of these um, people allowed to stay longer than 14 days, or is it pretty strict that it's a two-week, you know, quarantine and that's it? It is uh, pretty strict that it's a two-week quarantine and that's it. So um, there is some assistance provided, which has changed over time, and I'm not clear exactly on what it is now in terms of what where people can go after, but. Um, it's, you know, whatever assistance it is, it's yeah. temporary, um, and it's not, you know, it's, it's not an end to, to people's bout of homelessness, uh, right. usually. Some people have been able to return to, to family members, you know, there's been, that, that moment has allowed for yeah. reconnection to family, um, but, um, but yeah, many are being, you know, discharged and returned to homelessness, uh, unfortunately. Thank you, Damon. Damon, um, I'm wondering, I think some somebody else speaking? Go ahead, Nathan. Um, yes, um, this is Mark again. Um, may I ask a question of Alexander, our legal um, guide? Sure. Um, here's a question. Uh, we have not done it yet, and uh, it has not, not been proposed, but, um, but in other boards that I sit on, um, uh, we do occasionally do this, and that is uh, when we find uh, a situation in which uh, maybe uh, uh, may need a, uh, um, to be addressed in regards to uh, um, our actual mission. Uh, that occasionally we would uh, send letters to, um, this, for instance, the state legislature or represent uh, or political representatives of our area 
to make them aware of research knowledge that uh, is occurring in the area that may not be getting attention, that may need to be focused uh, uh, on a statewide basis, or at least that's assertion by our board. Um, are we allowed and can we, or are we barred given our situation uh, that we cannot uh, raise these issues uh, to the general public in as far as in as far as people who have uh, direct effect on, on policies that regarding those issues. Yeah. So, Mark. So, Alameda Health System actually has a department that's in charge of doing uh, uh, you know legislative work, which also includes reaching out to the legislature. But I can tell you, is you know, without really going into detail into this discussion. We can certainly talk offline, and I can sort of tell you, you know, what criteria the mental health system utilizes. Uh, and you know, the, the one thing that that I can tell you now is that you know, be assured that to the extent that there is any research data available, uh, Alameda County is actually uh, you know uh, working directly with the legislature, particularly with not only uh, the California legislature but also the uh, CDPH California Department of Public Health. And they have been analyzing whatever research or data that's being uh, disseminated. In addition to that, there are certain statutory requirements that, uh, uh, you know, mandate that certain data is provided to the state so that they can sort of monitor and keep track of, you know, the current situation. So, uh, you know, but again, you know, I'm more than happy to discuss this further with you offline. And then if this is something that the CAB wants to explore down the line, then my recommendation will be for us to. Uh, put this item on the agenda for the next meeting. Okay, thank you very much. No problem. Hi everyone, I had a question for the team in general, given how, uh, as expected as Dr. Francis was saying, that the testing facilities or ability to test is a lot lower for people who are uninsured and for in areas that it is required, uh, in low-income areas, and I'm wondering if there is anything that we can do or any resources that we can mobilize to increase beyond uh, the San Leandro clinic to other facilities to increase testing? Mm -hmm. I don't have a good answer to that question at this point in time in terms of our system. I know there is a um, task force that is um, a partnership between the county and um, an Alameda Health System that is looking at this issue. Um, and Catherine, I don't know if you have um, if you have anything to add beyond uh, beyond that around you know what's what's being thought of and planned and who's working on it. I missed the first part of the question. Just um, is there anything? Uh, I'll summarize maybe then. Or yeah, yeah, you want to repeat it? I think it was just about what what could we do um, as a as a board to advance the issue of you know accessibility um, uh, testing in areas that really need more testing, um, particularly for vulnerable populations. And I think in particular with with regard to what Alameda Health System is doing on testing. Um, Damon, um, Mark Mark Smith again. Um, by your very question. Um, uh, um, are, are you are, are you basically encouraging us, if, if it is possible, for our group uh, to advocate um, at, um, to advocate uh, in that respect? No, I was just re I was re re uh, restating Neha's question in a way I thought Catherine could hear it. Um, 
I'm, oh, I'm not actually okay. advocating for that at this point. I'm not, I'm, you know, I know that there is work happening that is, um, that is moving in that direction. For example, I know that, you know, Supervisor Chan and Del Vecchio and others are coming together pretty regularly and looking at numbers and looking at testing data and doing what they can to look at it. I don't know, you know, I don't know more details about what is happening, but I think um, it's, I know it's already an issue that has the attention at the highest level of this organization and of the county. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's something where we need to raise awareness around or that, that anyone is, um, that, that anyone is not aware that they, you know, it's something we should be focused on in the community. And I just, I was wondering if Catherine had anything else to add beyond that. Oh, yeah, I mean, I think, um, I definitely echo you and uh, in terms of that it's, it's definitely front and center when we're thinking about this pandemic and just where we stand in terms of relationship within the county. Um, I think by you guys, by you as a board asking the question, um, holding us accountable to do what we can and participate in what we can to um, ensure our work um, um, transcends all populations across the county is super critical. And then, you know, if there's specific data or um, things that you would like to see so that you can hold us more accountable, then that would definitely be welcome. It would be really great to see some data on sort of what testing is available versus what the need is and getting a better sense of where we're at and addressing that need. So mm -hmm. to see whether, you know, our response is getting close to what's needed or what can be done to increase that response, if that's possible. I certainly have access to what the county's captured so far, um, which isn't exactly a apples to apples sort of, uh, you know, demand and supply, but there is a, there is a list actually that's updated pretty frequently of testing sites across the county that we can send you the link to. Um, and then there's a map of cases that's on the county dashboard. Um, and so, it, you know, there has been one newsletter that's come out from the county that's basically highlighted that there is a gap along the 880 corridor. Um, so they've done that analysis inside Alameda County. Um, I think the, the challenge is because so much testing is driven by who your clinical provider is, um, you know, it's really, it, it, it really, for those folks who don't have a regular clinical provider, they can't call up Kaiser and be like, oh, can I have one of the drive up appointment slots? Um, and so, um, you know, the, the ability to stand something up outside of the insured population um, has been much, much harder. But I know that it's a, it's a focus area and I'm happy to share that information with you. And then also to, you know, if you all say, we need better information than this to share those recommendations with others. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry, go ahead, Nia. I was just going to say, I, I really like that idea. And yes, yeah, specifically looking at the uninsured population because that's really sort of our demographic that we're really concerned about most. So um, that'd be really great to understand. Thank you, and that's all I answered. Did uh, San Leandro, when they started the testing today, is it drive up, did you say? That's what they're doing there? Both the drive up and walk up. Um, okay. both, are, both are allowed. Are was, coincidentally, I was there just Sunday and um, with a family member, and um, they told me that they have a shortage of testing supplies, that they're only allowed 25 tests a day. And I'm wondering, has that been addressed? I guess 25 Catherine, is not I'm not sure if you have, 
more updated information about that, but my I've been getting the reports from our lab, um, and as of last week, I, I think we were over our shortage. We had we, okay. uh, last week we got an email that said we um, have you know new testing available in amounts that were much larger than twenty five per day for that site. So um, okay. that that was true earlier on that we were quite limited, but as of last yeah. week, um, at you know at, at the most recent information I have, that was not the case at all. Yeah, because there's quite a few walkthroughs. I know just sitting in the in the waiting room in the ER, um, there was three people off the street that walked in, you know. And um, I thought, wow, if they only have 25 tests, how are they going to do this, you know? Because that's nothing. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it wouldn't be enough for what we need. No, no, not at all. Um, again, Damon um, and Alexander, if you're listening, um, uh, certainly corral me if I'm, uh, not appropriate in the question, uh, but going back to testing again, um, are, are, are not we as a body, but uh, as AHS, uh, are we actually uh, collecting uh, numerical data as opposed to um, the number of tests given and the number of tests available for any uh, area? I have not seen any um, dashboards by zip code yet. Oh no, actually I have seen with Heather. Uh, so we're piloting, we're piloting some dashboards that Heather and I have seen um, that include some of that data. So I'm not sure when it'll be available publicly, but um, Heather and I have at least seen internal versions of some data with zip code. So if that's something you all would like to see, we can, oh, yeah. you know, as soon as it's available to us, we can make it available to you all. Okay, and the hospital itself is collecting this data? Yeah, the health system, the, the overall health system. Oh, the well, I just like to say health system. It's not just the hospital, you know. I'm an ambulatory care doctor and out in the community. So, yes, the health system is collecting that data. And can, um, this is Mark Smith one more time. Um, um, it hasn't been mentioned, um, but, um, and I'm not sure that uh, I could be wrong about pointing out this facility, but um, do we have any uh, kind of numbers or uh, or do we have any connection uh, in which we have a right to discuss uh, patients that are housed uh, at John George? That's not within the scope of our um, health center, our homeless health center. Um, yeah, okay. Unfortunately, I think this is a question that goes far beyond. Okay. Yeah, okay. I mean, this goes, unfortunately, you know, this is not a question that we can answer at this time. Uh, okay, but, but no problem. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it, it's reasonable to say still uh, that I take care of patients in outpatient settings who have been admitted at John George, and so, you know, within that capacity, you know, coordinating care, obviously, with the, with the part of the system. Um, that obviously happens, but you know, outside of that, it, it isn't within the scope of uh, of our homeless health center. Okay, no problem. Hi, um, I had a question about um, you mentioned uh, how your beginning talks about how to reopen the health system, kind of moving forward. Um, is there anything that you know, the board we should be aware of that? Um, any challenges that you're facing um, specifically with the homeless population? Um, kind of what, what does it look like for um, kind of moving forward from this point? 
I don't have a lot of, um, you know, data on, to answer that question. I think one of the things I'm really looking forward to is being able to, um, to look at some of our standard reports with a filter for whether people meet the HRSA homeless category or not. And then we can, we can use, um, we can use some data to help us answer questions like that. Like, uh, and so I think as Catherine said, like continuing to say, Hey, when is that data coming? When are you going to be able to show that to me? Um, because, um, uh, you know, I think, I, I do think there's already an internal sense of urgency around it. I, I don't think that there's much more that we can do to, to push harder to make it happen faster. I think you know, the barriers are technical more than anything, but I do think, um, that's going to help us then figure out, where are we having trouble getting people back into care? Which people are having trouble getting back into care? In which the codes, you know, which with which racial ethnic groups? I do think you know we can still do things. We can still understand a little bit anecdotally, and I I think there's not a strong reason to think it's going to be much different than it is at baseline, which is that there are just more challenges and barriers if you're homeless to you know getting getting back into a clinic appointment, um, and um, I think, um, you know, we can expect that we're going to have to do extra, think about extra in order to make sure that the, that the reopening process um, is working as well for people experiencing homelessness. And then kind of following up to that, um, given that, you know, we have been a bit more closed off to um, like our regular services, um, have, do we have any information about any, um, Anything that's been like any gaps that we're seeing in terms of uh, um, addressing maybe like chronic conditions or things outside of COVID, um, <laughs> like currently. I'd love to hear. Um, Catherine and I haven't had a chance to talk about this, but I don't know if she's seen any data on it. Certainly, nationally, we see like decreases in hospitalizations for exacerbations of chronic diseases, like. People aren't going in for heart attacks or congestive heart failure exacerbations or the kinds of things we're used to seeing. And there may be some explanation for that that's like, oh, people are, you know, staying home and so they're not getting in as much trouble. And so, you know, they're healthier in general. And then I think another explanation is people are staying away from the health system. And so they're suffering from those things outside of the health system. Um, and so I think we don't really know, you know, as a, as a country sort of what's true about that. But probably both of those are true to some extent. And then I think, um, you know, my own experience um, just in the adult immunology clinic where, where I have my primary care practice is um, I've had quite a few no-shows and I've had more no-shows on my phone calls, um, you know, it's just a small provider practice, but I've had more no-shows among my patients experiencing homelessness than I have among the rest of the population. And we've done the best we can with the phone, with triangulating with mothers and brothers and family members to try to get folks in. Um, and I, I don't know exactly what it is that's that's making people not respond. It isn't just that they don't have phones, you know, it, it, it really is something else um, that's going on. I think the draw of like the human interaction and coming in is something that, um, that, you know, potentially might mean more for some of those folks. But I think it's a really important and interesting question. And I'm looking forward to kind of having, having more information and data and experience across the system to answer it. And I'll, after saying all that, I'll finally let Catherine <laughs> give her thoughts on it too. Cause I think you, you might've seen some more information about this. Yeah, I mean, there is, um, we don't have specific data, but we do know that when we look at um, COVID, like so much was, so much of our COVID response was focused on like preparing for the surge. Um, um, 
and delaying care for patients, chronic diseases, um, more elective surgery sorts of things has a morbidity issue um, and it definitely impacts um, vulnerable populations um, more than others. Um, across ambulatory, as I mean, a lot of our services are planning to like quote unquote reopen up, so start seeing more in-person patients. Um, and then we are also doing, um, starting last week, we started a number of um, pilots in our primary care clinic specifically to reach out to patients with chronic diseases um, where we may have delayed um, cancer screenings, like colorectal cancer screenings, like those sorts of things to make to either bring them in for um, in-person visits if needed or start doing more telephone visits for specific patients. You know, do the patients, do they have their asthma medications? Like, do the kids have their ADHD medications? Like, all those sorts of things. Um, and I really would love to make sure that we are um, uh, doing the appropriate outreach and targeting for our homeless populations because um, they, they do need more support than than our other housed um, patients. Yeah, I think any information that we can get on that in the future mm-hmm. super helpful. Do we have any other questions? Okay, I think we're gonna move forward to our next agenda item. Um, So next uh, we have a program report from Heather, practice manager. Hello y'all, hope you're doing well today. So I'm gonna highlight a couple of things on the program report. Um, I usually give you an update on the mobile health clinic statistics. Um, So we saw 133 clinical patients last month and 112 enabling encounters. Usually we see these numbers are flipped around where there are more enabling services than there are clinical encounters. However, because we were doing testing, um, we included the testing encounters uh, linked in with the regular patient encounters, and that's because some patients had both a clinical appointment and also were tested, um, and so it was hard to tease those all apart, and so that's why you have such a high number in the patient encounters. I would say that we probably had roughly 88 classic clinical encounters and 112 enabling patient encounters, but again, that number was increased because we included the testing encounters and with our clinical encounters. We expect that next month you're gonna see something a little bit different. I know that Damon mentioned that one of our team members lost their partner um, last week, um, and she's a key member, she's our nurse practitioner. And so this has really impacted our ability to provide and maintain services this month. We've kind of had to do a little bit of rearranging. She's just such a key and core member of our team. Um, And while we have some folks providing some backup, um, the of her unplanned absence um, causes us to have to reduce services at some sites and kind of rearrange our schedule. So we did want to let you know that. Um, if any of you are familiar with our nurse practitioner or have met her before and want to reach out later um, to provide condolences, you're of course welcome to do so. You can just shoot me an email. Um, we are sending her cards and goodies um, and to show her our love and support during this time. Is she a COVID-19 patient? 
Uh, sorry. So unfortunately, we can't disclose that information. Oh, I I understand. It's private. I'm sorry. Thanks, Alexander. Um, we're going to move on to the next section. Um, we're working on uh, data related to our UDS report. Um, I think I have mentioned before that there are certain data points that we are collecting but are unable to um, pull out of our system, and we're expecting that to be fixed by May 28th, so we're pretty excited about that. We've also talked a little bit before about our uh, homeless screening questions that are expected to be launched as well and we have a new date for that which is June 9th so it did come in um, we've shut it down for a minute while we work out our workflows and then it's uh, intended to be launched in June I wanted to talk a little bit about um, you know we had talked about the foundation gala where our program is being featured uh, for the fundraising efforts and that date has been changed to December 18th um, you are all of course still welcome to support that effort um, we are looking for opportunities to share stories uh, so if you have stories or would like to share I can forward those over to the foundation and we're collecting continuing to collect stories from both patients and staff for that effort and right now they're really asking a lot about how COVID has impacted patients experiencing homelessness and also how it has um, impacted our team um, as they as they provide care to those patients. All right. Um, last um, month, yep. Yeah, Heather, one quick question. Mm -hmm. uh, are any of the board members actually um, able to attend or are they invited or not? So um, we have, uh, absolutely you're invited to attend. There is, since it's a fundraising event, there's an expectation that tickets are being purchased. Now, because our um, group is the featured program, we are being provided a table of 10. And so we will likely, um, in some future meeting, have an action where we nominate somebody to represent the, the board to sit at our table. Um, and, and I'm not sure how many seats that will be that are provided by the foundation because we're being featured. Um, otherwise, if we get sponsorship from an outside organization or there's some fundraising specifically um, around it, then that would open up additional seats as well. Thank you. Sure. Um, last month, we I provided some public comment to the commission. So just as a reminder, the commission is kind of your equivalent board that works with Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless program. And their board, or their commission, and that agency is, uh, we get that we are a sub-recipient of that agency, so they do our monitoring. Um, I provided public comment to them because, uh, because of COVID-19, there has been some relief funding provided to HRSA health centers. And our agency, in collaboration with Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless program and several other contracted agencies are part of this homeless health center. Um, I have attached the public comments, so you are all welcome to read it. It's um, part of your packet today. We wanted to really highlight in this public comment some of the great collaborative work that we're doing with the county on the grounds and operationally. Um, and it is really, you know, in, in times of crisis, often we come together to do work and it's, and it's very fulfilling to be able to work with our partners in a real meaningful way. 
one of the things that um, because of the because of the crisis and the funding coming um, to the HRSA Health Center, some quick decisions needed to be made, and we think that there is opportunity for improvement on working together as partners when these opportunities come up to think really collaboratively and strategically about how the funds are used for the Homeless Health Center, that large things that is not just Alameda Health System or just Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program, but this combined health center that serves patients experiencing homelessness. So you can take a look at that public comment um, and that's just for reference so that you know kind of what I provided to them. Um, as they make decisions as board members, you are absolutely welcome to attend their board meetings as well and make public comments. Um, and there are opportunities for you guys to, even today we're going to talk a little bit about an action that you can do. In addition to making public comment, following the public comment, we have provided a formal request to Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program, and that letter is also attached here. And this formal request really asks the county to think of us as their partners and to come up with a plan for supplemental funding and um, potentially policies that would help guide the decision making around supplemental funding that comes to our health center. Um, Heather, mm -hmm. um, Mark again, um, um, due to my digital limitations, I was wondering, uh, would it be possible, at least in my case, uh, that, uh, that you can give me, um, uh, the same material, um, by mail? Absolutely. I was, I was go, would it make sense if I read the letter? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So why don't I go ahead and do that? Um, I'll let the public comment. I don't think I need to read that. I think I summarized it pretty well, but I can read the letter. The Alameda Health System Healthcare for the Homeless Center hereby respectfully requests to be formally included in discussions regarding the use or distribution of supplemental funding to Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program to support healthcare services for individuals experiencing homelessness in Alameda County. Supplemental funding includes, but is not limited to, additional funds made available pursuant to Section 330H of the Public Health Services Act, and funding made available pursuant to an emergency declaration, for example, the Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security CARES Act, and any other funding intended to support and or improve healthcare services for individuals experiencing homelessness. This formal request is prompted by ACHCH, that's the Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program, decision on the use of the initial COVID-19 supplemental funding. AHS is a strategic partner to Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program and represents over 60% of the annual reported HRSA services. AHS, as the healthcare delivery system of Alameda County, is vital in the response to the COVID-19 pandemic for individuals experiencing homelessness. AHS leverages additional federal, state, and local funds through sustainable financial practices and has the infrastructure to utilize supplemental funds in an effective and impactful manner. After being apprised of the availability of the COVID-19 supplemental funding, AHS asked Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program whether any of this funding would be made available to support the AHS Healthcare for the Homeless Center's efforts for detection of COVID-19 and or the prevention, diagnosis, and treatment of individuals experiencing homelessness. It is our understanding that Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless has decided to keep and use the funds for its own internal expenditures. 
Generally, but certainly in the current effort to respond to the pandemic, close collaboration and effective partnership are fundamental to successful and sustainable responses for the provision of healthcare services to individuals experiencing homelessness. In light of the foregoing, we respectfully ask to be formally included in discussions regarding the use and or distribution of supplemental funding to Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless to support healthcare services for individuals experiencing homelessness in Alameda County. We applaud Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless's recent decision to give AHS an opportunity to identify program areas that could benefit from additional time-limited FERSA CARES funding and to ensure continuity of collaboration and effective partnership, we encourage ACHCH, the Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program, to adopt and implement a policy or process that clearly outlines the decision-making process regarding the use or distribution of supplemental funding that is intended to support or improve healthcare services for individuals experiencing homelessness in Alameda County. Um, Heather, does that require a vote from us uh, at, at this particular session? No. So this was a letter that the operate that your leadership team, Damon and Heather, wrote and was submitted to Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program. In a moment, in the next section, then you guys will have an action item to similarly craft a letter that uh, recognizes the same request. And the idea uh, being that funding, supplemental funding came to the HRSA Homeless, Healthcare for the Homeless Center, which we are a part of. And though we were not included on any of that decision making um, for the first round of funding, and then for the second round of funding, um, there was very brief conversation. I'm a little concerned about the lack of uh, conversation between ACHCH and, and us in determining the funding. Is, is, is it their prerogative to decide how the funds are, are used and they exercise that, that right? Or is it a, an oversight and that needs to be rectified. Well, this is why we're submitting the letter. Um, certainly, uh, we are two separate agencies, and sometimes, though we're working in collaboration and partnership to provide services for people experiencing homelessness, we often have our own priorities. Um, they are the recipient agency um, and ultimately have oversight of the entire grant. Um, our perspective is that as the providers of more than 60% of the services for people experiencing homelessness in our county, that we would warrant a conversation that was greater than what occurred. But with, with really strong recognition that the on-the-ground partnership and collaboration between the team members and the leadership has been really, really strong. And I think that in this time of crisis, since the policy didn't exist before, there was nothing to easily fall back on and not, no formal structure that we could easily say, oh, well, this is how we do it, let's get it done. Um, and it was much more, I would, I would say it was crisis decision-making. We don't have a formal structure. We've made some decisions, we had to do it fast. I'm sorry, we didn't have time. I mean, I don't think that it was meant out of harm. I think it was really out of a place of, it, they, they received the money, they had to make some quick decisions. They identified some priority items and felt justified in doing so. And But that is also one of the reasons we're asking you to support the partnership by writing a similar letter. 
I think that the, the commission would respond very well to hearing from board members that they're similarly, that they feel similarly to the leadership of, of the health system. Uh, Heather, Mark, I, I would just, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was, I was wondering if I could just add something to Heather's point and then, and then Mark, please go ahead. But I think the, you know, we have, you know, enormous new unemployment. Um, we've had trillion dollar packages of relief already from the federal government. So, um, the idea that, you know, a lot of things are going to change in the policy environment and the funding environment that are happening in the future was really important to us too. As Heather said, you know, I'm, yeah, it's a crisis moment. We're in there, we're collaborating, the partnership's great. And we need to establish some, you know, some ways to be really thoughtful about how we administer funds like this, because this, this is likely to be what the future looks like for us, that we're going to be getting relief funding and, and things coming through the federal government that we need to that we need to think very wisely about how to how to spend. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's I think it's imperative to set some structure around how the discussions around this happen and some policy in place for any of the future uh, funding that might be coming through. Yeah. Um um this is Mark Smith again. Um and um Alex you check me um at the first sign of uh of demarcation, but but um, one of my questions is is uh, is that um, as you described it, it was something that needed to be decided on an emergency basis. Uh, my question is is um, was there any um, or is there any uh, requirement? Uh, if not, why not? Uh, is there no requirement to at least make an attempt to contact? Someone uh, on our board adds to this uh, "quote unquote" uh, sudden decision making that needed to happen uh, with without our without our knowledge or blessing or input. Um, the, uh, I guess what I'm questioning is whether any actual attempt was made to contact us regarding such decision. Number one, and number two, um, provided that that of course failed. It, if such a tip was made, um, the question is, can we f find out or at least have some knowledge before drafting such a letter of, of what they of what they actually decided? Sure. So, so again, the commission meeting happened last month, and so we were aware in April um, that the relief funding was coming out. We contacted Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program to ask whether any of that relief funding would be designated for Alameda Health System, and we were told no, that none of it would be allocated to Alameda Health System. And the first round of funding was roughly $64,000. And then this is when we drafted the public statement where we felt that there wasn't um, very strong dialogue, but again, realizing that it had happened very quickly, there was very little time, and that we do really recognize the strong partnership between the team members. The commission had the opportunity to hear from Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless program what their usage of the funds, what they intended to do with the funds. Um, the program leaders um, determined that the funds were needed to pay for overtime for staff that are working really hard in Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless program. And they are working really hard 
a lot of overtime. So there is a there is a great need there. They identified a need. They decided that's where that money needed to be spent first, and and that's what they decided to do. Um, and I think that you know working with them as partners, we recognize that they're that that may very well be the greatest need in that moment for that $64,000. And, and we don't necessarily argue with that point. Um, we really just want to create a system by which all of the needs are, are assessed so that the decision can be made strategically for the whole system. Um, and, and, you know, this partnership has come a long way over the years. And so I think we're moving towards partnership. The subrecipient agreement looks very different this year than it did last year because of that, that move towards partnership. And I think that um, the way in which we ask to do business with them is shifting also towards partnership and them for us as well. And it, and it sometimes takes things like a formal request, like this is what we do, this is what partnership looks like. And that's what we tried to focus on in both the public comment and in this letter is provide examples of this is what we think partnership would look like to us. We hope that you're on board with that. And we hope that, you know, barring the current crisis, that we have time to discuss it and come up with a system that works for us. And so that's what we're really asking for. That's what we've asked for through this letter. Um, that's what we tried to communicate through public comment. And that's what um, in your next item you guys will get to discuss this idea of you can similarly um, decide something something along those lines of, of this is what partnership would look like to you and what you hope to see in our partnership, um, whether it be with Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program, the, the lead um, administrators or the, the, ca the commission, which is kind of like your counterpart. So the idea that Damon and I provide a letter to the, and it has Damon's name on it, so he, he really gets the credit for it. I, and, but, we go to their leadership and we ask for this question. You're similar to the commission, and so you ask the commission for their support, right? That's the idea behind behind that. Okay. So, um, uh, just so I got it straight, this is Mark again. Uh, are you? Um, it, it, and correct me if I'm wrong, just so um, I'm not confused. Um, we, we are talking about, um, as a body, drafting a letter uh, in support of the decisions that were made. That's your action item next, yes. That's okay. going to come and up next. Is that, for, is that to be decided today, or um, is that for the, uh, on the agenda for the next uh, meeting? No, that's on your agenda for today. There's an action item for you today that when we get to that, we should discuss it there. I'm going to try really hard not to discuss it right now. So what I'm trying to provide okay. is a little bit of background as to what we're doing um, as an agency in regards to this. And then you guys will be able to discuss it um, during your action item. And I can probably answer more questions then. I will also add that on um, this week on Friday, the commission will be meeting again. So I mentioned that there were two sources, two kind of buckets of funding. The first bucket came out, that was the 64000 they made a decision on. The next bucket is um, roughly 750000 and they have submitted to us also a plan for how they're going to spend those dollars that's going to be on the agenda for the commission meeting on Friday. And so I, w I would say it's another opportunity for you to review the materials of the commission for Friday and you'd be able to similarly um, make public comment if you wished. 
Okay, but um, uh, when will we, as members of this board, actually have uh, have that in hand in terms of of, of uh, what's being actually proposed, uh, and how do we uh, interject uh, um, for public comment at that point at that time? So uh, similarly, they're required to post their meeting material 72 hours in advance. So it may be public now on their website for you to review. I know that we, this is where like I wanna ask Alex to make sure that I'm okay with what I say. But I mean, we did receive a note from them today about what their plans were in an email. And I don't know, Alex, is there, like, yeah, yeah, we shouldn't be discussing that point as far as what has, has been proposed thus far because, I mean, it's, it's still up in the air. Um, but as far as, and Mark, help me understand where your, your question is whether or not, you know, how do we ensure or how do we grant access to public comment once the CAP, our own CAP, drafts that letter? Is that what the question was about? Yeah, more or less, yeah. Okay. So, so here's the thing. So. The uh, action item is for, you know, the co-applicant board to designate, let's say it could be the board chair or a designee to draft the letter, sort of outlining the same points that uh, Heather mentioned. And, you know, with respect to, you know, whether or not you guys will see that before that's disseminated, uh, you know, there are several ways that we can go about doing that. One, you know, we can sort of talk about, you know, bullet point some of the items that will be included on that letter and if everyone is okay then we'll go ahead and you know designate someone from the board to drop that communication subsequently after you know that letter will be disseminated to the commission the other way is for someone you know for the designee of the cap to draft that letter and then you know that letter will be circulated at the next cap meeting uh and then at that point then the cap can endorse uh you know, moving forward with that particular letter as is, or moving forward with certain uh, changes. The issue that I'm trying to avoid is, you know, where we have a letter that all of a sudden now we're circulating via email. Now we get into the brownout concerns where we may potentially be discussing an item that the public has not seen. So, you know, and then at the end of the day, I think we'll defer to the cap as far as what they want to do. Again, the action item is for you guys to uh, put that letter together, and then we can discuss as far as what the next steps would be. Well, uh, Alex, Mark, again, uh, given what you just said, uh, based on that, uh, I myself as a member uh, would be uh, uh, certainly okay uh, with, ever, um, uh, with whoever, whoever um, is uh, asked to draft the letter. So, pardon the interruption. So, uh, I'm sorry. we can't discuss this item just yet because we have that item hasn't been addressed directly on the agenda. Uh, I see. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, Do we I, have any other questions for this section? And then we'd be able to move on to the next. Uh, no, only that, uh, only that uh, I'm assured that or at least uh, based on what was said, uh, that at some point we will address this issue. Yes, in a moment. Okay, that's, okay, simple enough. Okay, uh, I, I'm fine. Heather, I do have a question about yeah. um, the commission meeting on Friday. Mm -hmm. 
So if we do, I'm guessing that's via Zoom. Or yes, it is. Similarly via Zoom. Um, and then uh, if there is a place to address for public comment, would we be addressing as individuals um, and not as board members, I guess? I just want to clarify. So I can answer, yeah, so I can answer that. So here's the deal. In order for a CAP member to, uh, you know, discuss something in public coming at the commission, uh, you know, on behalf of the CAP, then it requires CAP endorsement. Unfortunately, that's not something that has been added to the agenda. So therefore, we will not be able to, uh, you know, obtain the co-applicant board's approval. However, you know, that being said, you know, a CAP member can certainly speak on their behalf as an individual, you know, and also as a member of the community. Great, thank you for the clarification. Yeah. I noticed that uh, this year, that the supplemental funding is an action item on their agenda for this Friday. Um, and so, yeah, it would be helpful to, to try to get to that meeting and, and give our views. <laughs> I'm sorry, could you repeat the last statement? I was saying that the supplemental funding, I just looked up uh, their meeting agenda for the Friday, and the supplemental funding is, as Heather had mentioned, on the agenda. So so it gives us a chance to bring our comments to the to their board on Friday. Uh, well, I certainly move that that be uh, placed on the agenda. Um, we can't make a motion right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. So, so, Mark, this is certainly something that you can discuss with Lucia uh, or Nea, and then uh, we can potentially put something, you know, related to this issue on the next uh, agenda. But as far as public comment, like I said, this right. is something that CAP members can do it in their individual capacity, but not as a representative of the co-applicant board because the co-applicant board has not endorsed uh, you know, so, such action and, you know, this other, you know, issue is not something that has been added to the agenda, so unfortunately we can vote on that oh. juncture. Okay, with that in mind, uh, with that in mind, um, I, I will only state um, as a member to all members of, of, the, of, of, the, of the CAB right now that I, as an individual, will not comment on uh, this particular issue. Um, Unless I can do so jointly uh, with the uh, with my with my colleagues, so I will not be addressing this as an individual. I will wait for the opportunity, if the opportunity presents itself, uh, to do so as a member of the group. Hello. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Everybody got quiet. Then nobody said anything. <laughs> so I thought I lost you guys. Okay. Does that mean? Does that sound okay? Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. Yeah. Um, any last questions for Heather on the on this item? Okay, great. Uh, so we'll move forward to our next agenda item, uh, and this is regarding um, cap letter to the commission. Uh, so can I get a motion to begin discussion um, or? So it yeah. will be a motion to approve the action item and then. Oh, can I get a motion to approve the action item? 
um, begin discussion on the cap letter to ACHCH mission. I need a motion. Okay. Uh, I create a motion to discuss action item E on this week's, this month's agenda. I second the motion. Yeah. Let's go ahead and, you know, amend the motion. So, so the motion is to approve drafting a letter to the ACHCH commission. Correct. Correct. Right, and I second the motion. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So now we can open it up for discussion. Thank you, Alex. <laughs> um, so the point is, um, now that Heather and um, Damon, our, our leadership, created a letter, um, is the CAB interested in creating a letter for commission as well? That's our discussion right now. Um, yes, I'm in favor. Um, I'm in favor of um, of us drafting a letter of some kind. Um, um, I prefer not to be the one to draft such a letter, um, but I um, but I do agree a letter should be drafted. Um, I'm happy to begin a draft. Um, is there anyone that's very interested in participating in that? Um, Alex, I guess I, I have questions about what collaboration would look like in terms of drafting a letter, um, given the Brown Act limitations. Yeah, no. So, I mean, this is certainly, uh, and you know, I'll, I'll defer to Heather. Heather can sort of explain to you. I, I think the recommendation is, given the circumstances that we're dealing, uh, we need a, a letter that sort of outlines the same issues that we have presented already to the uh, ACHCH commission. Uh-huh. And uh, so, you know, ideally this will be something that acknowledges our concern regarding, you know, the lack of a policy or process that outlines, you know, uh, what is required when, you know, the commission receives supplemental funding. And in particular, the requirement piece is how are those fundings used in spent and you know whether or not it will allow uh, to some degree some level of interaction among uh, ACHCH commissions community representatives so I think the letter you know if, if we were to do a bullet point it will be here's the issue you know uh, which is Alameda Health System has not been invited to the table to sort of discuss uh, you know how we can utilize the supplemental funding or you know more precisely how can supplemental funding be beneficial to Alameda Health System in our efforts to provide, you know, vital services to individuals experiencing homelessness in Alameda County? And the second point, you can sort of address the same thing that Heather talked about, which is the relationship, how we are an essential community partner to the county. Immediately after that, that sort of justifies our ask, which is invite us to the table so we can further our mission, our, you know, uh, community mission, which is for Alameda Health System, the county, and their community partners to provide these services to individuals, uh, you know, experiencing homelessness. So, you know, Heather and I can certainly help, you know, to extend that you will be the one drafting that letter, Lucia. We can help you out, you know, as far as, mm-hmm. you know, guiding you on what should be included. But at the end of the day, this is something that we want to make sure that it comes directly from you guys. So, you know, as a board member of the CAP, you have identified this issue, 
you agree with what we believe is the appropriate thing to do, which in this place, the recommendation is to have a policy in place that guides what should happen whenever you know supplemental funding makes it into the picture. Lucy, I'm happy to help you draft the, the letter. It looks like we already have a lot of the language uh, that we need, so I'm happy to, to draft, help draft the letter. And thank you, I can certainly say that, you know, feel free to see what, what we presented yeah. to the, to the, that should sort of be your outline in, in yeah. the community. Absolutely. And, you know, feel uh -huh. free to, you know, express urgency on, on, on the need of having something like that, especially during the times that we're dealing with. If I may be so bold, uh, uh, one thing I'd like to say, uh, and it's just a cert, uh, statement, um, I don't want our uh, illustrious chairwoman to feel that because she is a chairwoman uh, that the responsibility of drafting such a letter should lie on her uh, if, if in fact there are there there is a member or um, other members who would be more willing to take on that responsibility um, uh, who would then take the counsel from um, Alex and Heather and um, um, I don't want our um, our chair our chairwoman to feel uh, that it's necessarily her responsibility alone, or at least that she's supported by 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 whatever means the letter is drafted. If I'm if I'm making sense. Yes. Mhm. Mm I'm. I, I'm again. I'm happy to receive support, um, but I, I'm. I'm. I'm fine. I'm uh, definitely okay um, drafting it, if that's okay with everyone. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, I'd like to just add one thing before discussions close, if that's possible, around what I think the, you know, obviously this is, you know, kind of a bit like parliamentary and, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but I do think this this board has a perspective on the provision of health care that the Healthcare for the Homeless Commission doesn't have. Um, with regard to, you know, your your connection to the care that we provide at four outpatient clinics that are very large clinics that have, you know, active and challenging needs around staffing issues and how you coordinate medical assistance and healthcare providers and um, and what's the, you know, what's the relationship of uh, payer issues and those kinds of things. Like this board just brings a lot of healthcare expertise that I think is really critical to making those decisions. I certainly hope that, you know, Lucy and I, and you know, Heather, we don't agree on everything like that. I think it's really important that we actually don't always see eye to eye on, you know, the best way to spend the money. Um, and for that reason, I think it's really important that, you know, this board's really special perspective is part of the process of making these decisions and making really good decisions. And so I think one of the things that I hope your letter adds to what our letter is, is what you all bring um, in terms of, you know, who you are and then your connection to Allied Health System in particular and how that's also a value to these sorts of processes. And, um, and, and I hope it's lifted up, you know, when we're doing this in the future. I mean, this is, this is something that's that already has happened multiple times in the history of the health center world and is going to continue to happen probably. So I just wanted to, to say that in terms of the, so why are we having this conversation and why does this really matter? It's really, a lot of it is about the contribution that you all bring to these decisions too. Um, Catherine, do you guys have any uh, recommendations on how you'd like to see the process unfold when, if and when there is a process put in place? 
you're talking about, uh, are you talking about uh, what points we might want to make within the letter? Sorry, Mark, I was asking a question of Heather, Damon, and Catherine. I think, I mean, it, um, I think there are lots of, uh, a lot of ways that it can be done. So I don't know that we're limited um, at this point. I think that a meaningful conversation should be included. I, I think that in, in this case, you know, an example of what, what happened this time was, you know, we brought it to them. There is a role in our subrecipient agreement where Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless program is required to send us notices from HRSA, right? Like when they get a notice from HRSA, they're supposed to forward it to us because they're the recipients of the information on our behalf. And in this case, I mean, we did find out that the funding was coming down and, and they, didn't, they didn't reach out. We reached, right? So, so first is this idea of when they find out that there's supplemental funding, I would expect that they would reach out. Okay. Um, and then what does, the, what does the conversation look like or how is that structured or who is included in the conversation? So I think a policy that, that kind of describes who gets included in the conversation. You know, somebody from our finance team should be included in the conversation because they know the intricacies of the finances of Alameda Health System and what's happening in response to COVID, certainly even more than I do um, for our health center. Um, our health center is not just the mobile program. I've got the mobile program dialed in, right? Like I know all of that, yeah. but I really rely on the finance team to tell me what's going on in the bigger picture. And they only do that with me once a year. We get that picture once a year through UDS for the, from that annual reporting, we don't get it in the inter, intermediary or the intermediate time. And so for this example, I wouldn't really necessarily be the first expert to talk about what the needs are. I think that there are other members in our health center who would be, and it's, it's about asking the right people to be at the table to have the conversation, um, a real willingness to hear about, about the needs, right? So, I wouldn't want to prescript it as to this much time or that much time, but to say that this time around it was 10 minutes or less of a conversation, it really um, highlights the lack of process. And, and I think also I would really like to see what their process is internally for them. If they're making decisions that they believe are strategic and that have identified a need, it stands to reason that they have some documentation to support that. And that that documentation and that reasoning is brought in a systematic way to their commission. Um, I would like to see that the commission approves the expenditures. That would be a potential policy, right? That the commission is, is asked for a recommendation and the commission's the one that listens to the recommendation and decides whether or not to follow it. Um, that's a, some, another thing that didn't really happen. It was, this is what we're doing. Um, and so I see an opportunity there, but again, this is, these are just my ideas. I don't know that they would be agreed upon. I don't know that they're the best ideas. I just know that these are some ways that I might start the conversation or start to talk about what might make sense for policy. They may have other ideas. And, um, so yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's helpful. I think when we start drafting, go ahead, Dean. Sorry, um, to me, I think to the extent that time allows a meaningful opportunity to analyze the, 
opportunity on our side and then to offer ideas before a decision is made. So I think, you know, in the first case, we didn't offer any ideas at all for the 60,000. We were just told what was going to happen with it. And then in the second case, we didn't really have a meaningful opportunity to analyze the opportunity, you know, to analyze what money was coming and to then say, hey, if, you know, these are that percentage of that to us, here's what we might do with it. And so, you know, then we also can't even provide a really informed recommendation if we haven't really gotten the chance to do it. And I think even, even in rapid circumstances, um, I don't know exactly the details of the process, but I think we could probably get to a place where we would have a meaningful opportunity to look at it and then to, to say, here's what we think um, should be done. And I think that we should strive for that in, in, in all circumstances that we have the chance to do it. And, you know, none of these are like, you have to give us, you know, an answer tomorrow. I mean, if there's time for a commission to do that, um, from our perspective, there's probably time for us to do some meaningful level of financial and clinical analysis um, to provide some recommendations. And again, it doesn't, I, ex I fully expect them to have different opinions about the final recommendation that we have. This is really not about that difference of opinion. It's more um, ensuring that all of our collective wisdom is brought to bear. So every time the federal government approves money and it's sent to the different areas of need, what's the time turnaround that that money has to be used? Like you said, they got the money and they had to make a quick decision. Why was it, why did it have to be so quick? Why wasn't there some time allowed to think about it? That's a really reasonable question. I think um, there were some guidelines around uh, providing information on what you were going to use the money for. So there was a quick turnaround for how to report what you were doing. Mm -hmm. I'm not confident that the reporting to HRSA was so prescriptive that there wasn't still room to figure it out. Yeah, that's because yeah. if you, I mean, if you review the the minutes and I, the minutes, I don't know what their minutes look like right now, but um, I reviewed a, a draft, and you know, even when we have discussions, when you're telling the government what you're doing with money, you're usually pretty general. We're using it for staffing. We're using it for overtime. Yeah. Um, there's no reason why that overtime couldn't have also been used for Alameda Health System. Like we would fit into that category for Alameda Health System. So that reporting isn't necessarily um, problematic. I think similarly, I know that uh, the, I think the money is needed to be spent by April of, you know, I, I'd have to review the details, but 2021, so like uh, we have 12 months to spend it. So this idea of when you say we're planning to do this with the funding, there's still room to say, okay, it's for this widget or that widget or this person or that person, right. even though they needed to provide a plan, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think so too. If, there, if you have a year to, to use the money, um, there's definitely time to for you know a communication as to where we want to perhaps make suggestions or you know review the the fiscal condition of staffing or whatever it is you know yeah and the the funding is also I mean they have very detailed descriptions of what it's intended to be used for and so 
I mean, essentially the response that we provided to the county for how to use the, the larger um, funding source was uh, just feeding back, well, HRSA says we can use it for this. That's what we're doing um, because they were all examples of things that we're doing as a system. Um, infection control um, procedures and guidelines, yeah. for example, right, or improving infrastructure within your within your system to protect patients and staff from COVID-19 and provide relief. A lot of it was about maintaining primary care services for your patients and how do you do that, uh, expanding to telehealth, upgrading your EHR. All of these things are things that we are doing as a, as a system because we have right. to do it. And so it was pretty easy to look at the list of what HERS is intending to do with the funding and say, yes, that's exactly it. This is what we do as a health system to respond to this crisis. I mean, they outlined it very, very clearly. So uh, I, I don't think that the details... I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know what the, the detailed numbers, what the date is for like when these detailed numbers really need to be dialed into this sub this right. agreement or this contract and that but they seem they seem to be doing something in the may meeting and they did something in the april meeting and it and so certainly the board interaction is required by hersa so similarly once the um, money is designated to us as a system we'll be coming to you with our recommendations that we provided right. this is how we expect to use these funds and we'll say that you know do you agree or do you mm -hmm. think that there are other priorities and and you'll be similarly needing to approve those expenditures and approve that budget and when is the next uh, uh, money coming do you know that you said I, I don't know so my expectation is they're voting um, they're talking about it um, on the meeting on Friday and then sometime after that, if the commission decides that the recommendation by the staff is what they want to follow, then we would find that out, and then we would be bringing it to you. Okay. In the next, in sense. the next month. Right, right. Hey, Lucy, I just sent you a quick message. There is one thing I think to recognize, um, which is most health centers are nonprofit organizations in which the scope of service overlaps quite closely with the organization as a whole. And they have a single governing board. You know, we have four governing boards that, um, that are, you know, that have responsibility for the scope of services offered. And all of them are subject to like public, um, to additional laws about how they operate beyond, you know, beyond what a usual nonprofit board would be. And so I think just an acknowledgement of like that complexity and I think, you know, we're doing a good job sort of working together and I, that was the spirit of, you know, I think um, our, that's been the spirit of our conversations with the leadership there is we just have a harder job too. You know, hers is not really thinking about us when they issue, you know, funding recommendations or policies like a four part, you know, public entity. <laughs> um, and so, you know, our, our work is cut out for us and we need to be very, very good at collaborating in order to do it well because, because again, yeah. we're not the sort of, we're not the, you know, the usual thing that, that they expect, that HRSA expects. Sorry, I was on mute. Um, in terms of 
the letter, would it make sense, like, if, uh, I know, like, in previous, for previous items, action items, we've had, like, subcommittees, or is that because it's on the agenda, is that not an option? You do, like, me subcommittee to do the letter, um, just so that it's not seen as outside collaboration or... <laughs> Alexander, we wouldn't be able to establish a subcommittee at this meeting, which so then that means that they will, this will have to be added to the agenda uh, for the next. And I'm not sure if timing is in the present. Yeah. to say that it may be because you know it's very likely that there will be more uh, supplementary funding opportunities. I'm not sure if delaying this uh, to you know to the next meeting will be appropriate. Okay. Um, that's right. So um, I can draft something and then work with you and Heather. I mean, I can email with you. Just kind of. I was just taking a bunch of notes, Lucia, so I can send those to you. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, I took some notes. Um, is there, maybe can I ask if there's any specific... Um, I know we've mentioned a lot already, but since we can't meet outside of this meeting, sorry, the baby's crying. Sorry. Uh, okay. I'm sorry. Um, are you proposing something? Um, sorry, the baby is crying. I just our husband's with her. I promise. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that again? One second. Um, if anyone, since we, I lost the screen, sorry. Um, we can still hear you. Great, okay. Um, since, uh, if there's any specific items that board members would like, make sure that I include in this draft. Um, we'll be sharing it next month, but just for time, mm -hmm. if there's anything specific that you want me to make sure to include in this draft that hasn't been mentioned already. Okay. Um, I personally, this is Mark, um, I personally um, cannot say because I'm not sure uh, what actions the other group took other than they approved uh, a certain financial expenditure uh, as to wit um, with no uh, reference point as to know uh, what exact, exact, uh, exactly what approval of where money would be spent. Um, currently, um, with, with ignorance, I don't have any idea of how to answer that question because I don't know. We only know that they spent money, but we don't know where. So it, it's hard to answer that question, I think. So the letter, so just as a reminder for the letter, um, it's about supporting a process Mm -hmm. um, to include Alameda Health System as their partner for making the decisions in the future. Not necessarily that our decision or recommendation would be one that they follow, but that at a minimum, because we provide 60% of the services that were included in the conversations when supplemental funding is released. And so the letters that we drafted and sent, both the public comment and the letter that we already drafted, was really about process. It's not about we agree oh, okay. or disagree well, about well, thank you what for you decided. Me. I'm sorry. Just uh, about you're process. right. That, that's what you were 
we were discussing, so uh, I stand corrected there. Ideally, when do you, when would it be good for it was to grow out? I'm assuming ASAP, but is there a rough, when are you guys planning to send out the letter that you have drafted? It's possible to coordinate around the same time. They, we've, we've already sent them this letter, um, and one of the okay. reasons we did was to get it in front of you all tonight, tonight, and then also once it's in front of you, it's public, so we thought it was a good idea that they see it, you know, before it went public, um, or around the same time, and so that their, um, that their commission would have a chance to see it as well before their meeting because they're making a decision on Friday that they have this also that they've seen it before they make that decision. I think, I mean, I, I don't want to rush you into like have a letter ready before the commission meeting on Friday. Um, one one op option would be, you know, that if a letter were ready, oh, this is where Alex is going to tell me it's not possible. Hold on. I'm thinking it through myself. See, Alex? I got to my own conclusion. <laughs> Alex is in our heads. <laughs> See, look. Already not even going to mention it. I'm not even going to say my idea. It's not probably a lot. Um, but, you know, this is about a longer-term process, not necessarily about this money right now. So when you, whenever you feel it's right, I think that may, that's fine. Because this is not about doing this for this round of funding. It's, it's too late for that. Now there, there just wasn't enough time. So it's about future relationship, and you know what? More relief funding is probably going to come after this. So we want to be ready okay. next time. Right. And I, I think we wanted to share it with the rest of the board first, right? Um, so I think you know, work. You know, I mean, unfortunately, the this their meeting will happen a lot sooner than we have time to meet ourselves afterwards so yeah we can certainly put it on yeah. the agenda for next month so that you know you guys would feel really comfortable about everybody having a chance to read it endorse it and send it so we can certainly yeah. do that and i think that's pretty typical for timing i mean there's a reason there's time from yeah. one meeting to the next is that it's thoughtful it's considered it's not rushed um uh -huh. and so that's that's fine sounds good Here's what I would recommend. So we'll make an amendment to uh, agenda item E, which is the action item, and the amendment will say something as follow of, uh, you know, the co-applicant board has been asked to draft a letter, to prepare a letter uh, to be disseminated to HCH commission, but prior to this, the dissemination, that would require board approval. So. The only action item at this point is to authorize someone from the board to draft that letter uh, with the expectation that this the, the final draft will be approved by the CAP at the next meeting. Yeah. Before so, um, so Alex, uh, Mark Smith again, uh, are, uh, um, at this time, are you asking us to make a motion uh, that we designate someone? So, so the, the motion will be, so it, it's still the same, which is to, to prepare a draft. Okay. We don't need a motion to designate someone. This can be just something that the board agrees to have. Because at the end of the day, the board will get to review this and approve it before it's actually sent out to the commission. I say, okay. 
So if anyone can make a motion to uh, amend the action item so that, you know, a letter will be drafted uh, for the HDHCH, <coughs> Uh, but prior to it being disseminated, it will be reviewed and approved by the CAP at the next meeting. Well, in that case, um, uh, I, uh, I move, um, um, I make the motion uh, for such amendment. I second it. Can we take a voice vote? Those in favor? Let Lucia okay. do it, Mark. Aye. She's Aye. the chair. <laughs> Aye. Aye. Nays. Hey, Mark, next time let the chair call for the vote, man. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> he's he's I'm eager sorry. to move on. That's he's funny. ready. Um, uh, uh, I, I, I hope the board, and, I, uh, and let me say something um, to all members. Uh, as you probably well know, um, I'm full of questions, and I ask questions uh, that do not fit always uh, the Robert Rules of Order. Uh, is something that um, is a learning process for me uh, because in other boards I sit on, um, uh, the format is not the same. Uh, in fact, quite differently, different. Uh, um, so I won't say that Robert Rules of Order is new to me, uh, but it's been a while. And um, so please forgive me, um, uh, and I hope you will forgive me for uh, my growing pangs. But I am learning. Good. Very good, Mark. Thank you. We're, yeah, we're all learning together, so yeah. it's... Right. <laughs> okay, may, may I make another statement? We're going to check in with um, Alexander on that. So you've made a motion, you've seconded the motion, uh, you've, uh, yeah. you've all voted on the motion, and I think we need some words after that. Lucia? Uh, so, motion approved to amend the uh, action item to draft the letter and um, get it approved by the board before dissemination. Great. And then I think, Thanks so for Mark, volunteering, Lucia. Mark, hold on one more second, because I think okay. then we have, so that item is closed, so we won't discuss that item anymore. So if the idea was that you wanted to make a comment about that item, that opportunity is now passed. As soon as the no, vote is done, that's I, I over. Simply, I, I simply wanted to make a statement before we adjourn. We're not adjourning yet. We still have closed session and board member comments. You, so don't go anywhere. You're still with us. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay I'm, I'm here. Okay, good. So the next item on the agenda is closed session, which means we cannot have any members of the public here. Um, so we need to, we're going to double check all of our phone numbers um, and make sure that we only have uh, board members and staff of Alameda Health System on the line because we're unable to do a little breakout room right now. So before we do that, here's yeah. so let's go ahead and announce that we're going to close session. Okay. Uh, and I'll myself. So we'll say that uh, uh, we'll start closed session. This is the legal counsel as authorized on the paragraph. Government Code Section 54956.9, and this will be to discuss existing litigation in the matter of assistance versus the Department of Care Services. So, before we engage on the discussion, let's make sure that we don't have anyone that's. <coughs> so, Brenda, I will put Brenda in the waiting room. <coughs> 